everyone. Welcome back to the Lifted Podcast. I'm your host, Helen Denham, and this is a place for us to talk about what we're doing every day to raise our vibration and understand ourselves more deeply as energetic beings and co-creators. So for today's episode, I got to sit down with my friend, Amy. She also goes by Kimma. And let me give you a little bit of an idea of what she does. Okay, first of all, she's an angel. She's one of the most beautiful people I've ever met. And she's always just been so kind, so warm, so inviting and inclusive. And we actually met when we were working at a meditation studio together a little while back. And I would always just get such valuable knowledge from her. I think she was imparting this wisdom onto me that she didn't even realize, but I was just getting into meditation when I met her and starting to understand it. And she was already pretty experienced. So any chance that I got, I would kind of pick her brain or just listen, try to listen to her and pick up on what she was uh, given, getting down with. (laughs) Okay. Anyways, so Amy is, she's a DJ, but she's kind of like a multidimensional DJ. I think that's like the best way to explain it. She mixes like kundalini meditation with sound and disco parties. And she also teaches general rhythmic meditation. um, And she really just understands sound and how to use it to help people heal. So she's very unique in this way. I've never met anybody who does this. And I love it. I've been to a few of her sessions and it's pretty life-changing. Even just being in there one time with her is pretty unreal. Um, for example, she held one. The first one that I went to with her was at the Assemblage, which is like this beautiful co-working space um, all about consciousness and holistic healing, but it's like a co-working space, but brings all those kind of like-minded people together. And Amy got about like 30 of us in a room and I had no idea what to expect. Like I knew I was going to this like Kundalini disco thing. I was like, what does this even mean? I don't even know. But uh, we all sat down and she had us go through these breathing practices, this kind of pranayama technique and breath, breath work itself can really help you release so much stagnant energy and it can be very healing in itself. And it's also a discipline and a challenge to get through like 30 minutes of it. It's a real... Uh, testament to your patience, your discipline, and your willingness to really go deep and be okay with whatever comes up for you. So she guided us through this meditation to begin with, and she started to work in rhythmic sound. And it was just amazing. Just the the mixture of the frequencies that she was using with the breathwork techniques that we were going through together as a group there was just something about it that was really elevating and detoxifying. I think that's how I would put it for this. Um, and at the end, she has everybody get up and dance and just move and like move our bodies. And especially in Western society and Western culture, I don't know that we're necessarily used to moving like this, like really moving our hips and shaking and, and just releasing all of that energy um, in a safe a safe way in a safe space and in a sober place, um, even more importantly. So I would highly suggest that you guys check her out after you listen to this episode and maybe look up one of her sessions. You'll get to know more about her as we talk. But to give you an idea of what we're going to talk about during this episode, she takes us through her experience with, first of all, grief. Um, she lost someone very close to her, two people very close to her, um, in a pretty short period of time. And she talks about how she got through that heaviness and then takes us through a little bit more about 
her meditation practice, how she understands sound and how sound really does heal us. And so much more. Just I just loved having the opportunity to ask her all these questions. And I think you guys will love listening to her. She has a very calming presence that really comes through in this. So enjoy. So Amy, the first thing I want to ask you is how you start your day off. Do you have a morning routine or what does that look like for you? So my day recently, I've just set my alarm and my Sonos to this really beautiful album. I have had on repeat this artist, Yain. She has um, a really just down-tempo, amazing album to wake up to. And it starts off, I wake up basically to like this filtered drum beat, which is like a heartbeat. And I've been waking up to that every morning for the past two months. Mm. And it's so nice and so much better than my other iPhone alarm. So start with that. Then I'll kind of hang out in bed for a little bit and kind of gradually ease into the day. I'm self-admittedly not a morning person per se. I enjoy lingering in bed. Me too. As long as I can. (laughs) Um, And then kind of just um, oftentimes I will wake up with gratitude and whether it's writing or just kind of going through, through my mind, I like ending and starting my day, just being thankful for, for one waking up and all of the the other things that I have privilege and, and blessed to, to experience in life. And, I'll go make myself a cup of tea. That's my mandatory ritual, regardless of where I am, whether I'm home or if I'm traveling, having like my cup of tea, even the aroma of my tea is just so comforting. So make the tea, have that warm cup and it just takes some time to chill. So I'll just, again, sit up in bed. I won't be laying down anymore. (laughs) I'll be sitting up um, and just kind of breathing in the aromas of the tea, kind of continuing to go through through gratitudes and visioning for, for the day, if there's a to-do list in in my mind and and kind of give myself a moment before diving into the emails and the, and the phone and all of that good stuff. But it's a pretty simple morning routine. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I'll, I'll have journaling incorporated into that. If I feel like I'm in like a writing or expressive mode. Yeah. Uh, Sometimes it'll start the day with meditation sometimes it's just having that once the cup of tea is done then it's in it mm-hmm. but yeah usually it's just waking up to like a subtle soft rhythm and tea those are my those are my my mandatories for my routine mm-hmm. are you a tea over coffee do you drink coffee I don't drink coffee anymore. I used to, yeah, I'm very much tea over coffee, like matcha, black tea. Mm-hmm. Totally. Kind of gal. <laughs> yeah, I've got to experiment with that because caffeine is is definitely a little bit of a drug if it is taken too much. Yeah, it gives yeah. me anxiety. So I had to kind of stop mm-hmm. with that because it would, yeah, I would get a bit frazzled where I wouldn't or get a little frenetic just me personally as that's how it re- my body responded to it mm-hmm. yeah I'm, I'm so with you if I have two cups of caffeinated coffee I'm on one so now I'm doing decaf <laughs> <laughs> but it's definitely nice. helpful and what do you like to eat for breakfast oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh you would laugh so hard I love beans mm-hmm. I it is such a staple in my diet so 
generally, I generally won't eat early in the morning or right after I wake up, I'll probably eat around one or two. Uh-huh. Um, but it's then kind of lunchtime and I will eat more than likely I'll make myself tacos mm-hmm. and it could be breakfast edition with like an egg on it. Um, or a burrito situation. That nice. is, yeah. I, <laughs> I like that kind of style of eating. I've, it's like intermediate fasting kind of until you go into your afternoon and I'm with you. That feels good. So I've been eating a lot of like oatmeal in the morning, but, um, do you feel like, I mean, I feel like there's kind of a societal thing that like breakfast is the mo- most important meal of the day that's been drilled into us, but it's more of like an intuitive thing to, to think about how our bodies feel going into the day. It's yeah, that is important to think about and connecting with your own individual body because breakfast for some people is, it's very important and that's their meal mm-hmm. for me. I'm, I've just been listening to my body and when I'm hungry is when I'll, I'll eat and it just has not been hungry. Like right when I wake up. So, um, I've just kind of rolled with that and, and noticed when it, when it gives me energy and, and when I need that, that sustenance and what gives me that sustenance, I definitely love, especially in the older seasons that we're moving into some like warm oatmeal, um, and kind of oats in the morning. Mm-hmm. So it, it also just depends on kind of what time I wake up. So if I'm waking up at six in the morning, then I will definitely be eating around eight or nine o'clock if I'm waking up at 1030 in the morning mm-hmm. and I'm not eating until like one. Yeah. And now that we're on the topic of food, um, I'm forgetting, are you vegan or what is, what do you like to eat most of the time? I would consider myself pescatarian because I do incorporate fish, uh, minimal amounts of fish and eggs into my diet. Mm-hmm. So not strictly vegan. I also do honey. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I like, I really enjoy making my own food and, and sauteing my veggies. And I've been doing like a CSA box getting delivered like every other week to, to my place. So that's fun. Cause it diversifies what I make. Like I just got introduced to tomatillos, which are like those, almost, they're not tomatoes, but they're harder green tomato looking things. Oh. And I got a food processor. So now I can make a bunch of sauces nice. and get kind of like emulsified fibers with foods that I didn't know what to do with prior mm-hmm. so that that's been really exciting. So I, as, as much as I can, I try to make myself my meals Yeah, and then it's, yeah, it's heavily, uh, to get my protein and my irons, I, there's beans are heavily incorporated. <laughs> yeah. I love beans too, especially in the fall, like warm, warm foods, bowls like that. So nice. And soup. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited to start making apple sauces. Ooh, yeah. Apple season, yeah. Yeah. Um, so for people listening that, that don't know, Amy and I met, we met at Inscape Meditation Studio. And I was very new to meditation when I came in there. I kind of had a little self-practice, but hadn't really like studied it hardcore before. Um, but you had already had a pretty deep history of meditation. And I'm so curious about how you got into kind of the wellness meditation world and you know how it all how it all began for you how did you end up here it's a good question and as far as us meeting at inscape because inscape's an audio guided meditation studio it was kind of for me a no-brainer because it's audio Mm -hmm. production and meditation combined 
So for me, I was like, I need to definitely be involved with that. I really want to see what the evolution of meditation with technology is. Mm. Um, But how I got introduced into more of a mindful lifestyle was when I was living in L.A. back in 2012, 2013. I had been living by myself. I think I was in my early 20s. And when you're living by yourself, you really meet yourself mm-hmm. and there's nothing and nowhere to really hide. <laughs> so it, during that time was almost as if like I was a train going really, really fast. And then all of a sudden I stopped and all of this weight, all of this trauma, all of this stuff kind of flooded and was, uh, kind of debilitating my system. I was super lethargic. I was in a pretty, deep funk and depression, not feeling like myself, um, dealing with a lot of things I had previously, I think suppressed from, from growing up when I was 16, my brother was killed in Iraq. When I was 21, my dad Mm -hmm. died from kidney failures. And those things, when they had happened, I was really good at being the strong one and also keeping myself busy enough to not have to emotionally process it. Mm -hmm. So I would keep myself kind of consumed, whether it was with sports, which was great because it was actually a physical outlet. So I was able to somatically and physically process it, but still emotionally, I was repressing a lot of things and not, not really dealing with it. So when I was living by myself, those things really came to the surface. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had a friend who suggested we were talking and I was just in this kind of dark, abysmal space. And I was like, I just don't, I just want to feel like myself again. And I was working at a weed dispensary <laughs> in LA. <laughs> I was, I had a group of friends, but it was more of like the party and drinking scene. Mm-hmm. And all of these things I was recognizing, I wasn't interested in as much. So I was isolating. And she was like, you should talk to my healer. And this guy happened to be based in New York, just coincidentally. So we had a, a few calls. He got me um, on, a, on a fast or kind of, nut- he started basically nutritionally with me to see what was I eating. I think to deal with the lethargy and, and also the most likely hormonal imbalances of at the time I wasn't vegetarian, I was eating chicken and I was not quite understanding how my body processed or broke things down. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started there and within that process, it just gets very overwhelming because you are having to face a lot of things. So yeah. I was in and out of contact with him, but kind of going on my own path. He peaked curiosity and definitely opened a door back into me finding myself. And then from there, I started to explore. I had been doing yoga for years, more physically to to maintain the physical body for for athletics, mm-hmm. uh, doing a lot of vinyasa, hot yoga. And then I started working at a Kundalini yoga studio. I became vegetarian. I decided to go to production school for music. At the time, I had been DJing. Um, so was in the party scene and starting to kind of remove myself from that space, still isolating, but figuring out coping mechanisms. Mm-hmm. 
And then within that, just really diving deeper and deeper into the therapeutic uses of music, therapeutic uses of sound, kind of starting to integrate my process and how music was helping me through this healing process, then learning about mantra within the, the Kundalini yoga realm mm-hmm. and just devouring books upon books and seminars and, and lectures and all of the metaphysical and, and psychoacoustics and the sciences mm-hmm. and the spirituality behind humans as musical instruments and also the, the expression of that. So yeah, a kind of a, yeah, common, common story is just like at your darkest moments, you meet, you really meet yourself mm-hmm. and then recognizing what were, what were my coping mechanisms to, to find the, the lightness of life again. And I think of lightness even in terms of weight to like it not feeling so heavy and right. And that really, that was, I think not my first introduction to mindfulness and meditation. Cause I grew up with an aunt that was really, really into it. So I had an influence there from a young age, but as far as me as an adult, practically applying it, integrating it into my lifestyle, mm-hmm. um, it happened yeah, in like my early twenties. Yeah. And how were you able to find peace after all of this grief that you went through? Was it a gradual kind of acceptance of what had happened with your family or did you have a breakthrough moment? What, how, how did you get to a a place of peace? That is a really good question. I think working through the various modalities I had been doing and exploring Reiki, polarity therapy, uh, colonics, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so many different things to help purify, cleanse, clarify my system. Mm-hmm. So within that process to put my finger on what, it, like where the, when did the piece come? <laughs> I think yeah. it's an ever evolving, um, shift in perspective. Mm-hmm. I, feel like the mourning process and I was talking to my mom about this too because obviously she was hugely affected by both of those things um and how just the evolution of either the story that you either have the narrative of what happened starts to shift and the space and the time between when it happened and to the person you are today you naturally are going to evolve that Mm -hmm. and everyone's process is slightly different. So I think for me, it's a constant making peace with, I don't think I've fully found peace in it. I found acceptance because it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's still, still frustrations but it's I've been channeling that energy rather than allowing it to be debilitating and so overwhelming Mm -hmm. to me that I I couldn't be of service to anyone Mm -hmm. is how can I leverage this energy this story what I've gone through 
to be able to potentially help others who have experienced something similar. Um, so I've worked a lot in, in kind of the sober wellness space of offering experiences for people that are curious about sobriety because my dad was, uh, alcoholic and, and drug addict. And that's why his, uh, kidney disease and kidney failure kind of took him at such a young age. So for me, recognizing that as really unfortunate and I had, I, I wish the story could go a different way, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. So then how do I create spaces or cultivate spaces or work with people that are creating these spaces to give them what he didn't have at that time? Yeah. It's amazing. What I love about what you're saying too, is that rather than escape and go into drugs, alcohol, party scene, you had the courage to like face yourself and face that really dark heaviness that grief gives us and get into it. And then, you know, kind of detox with it, which is so empowering and so inspiring. Yeah, it's was a gradual process because I definitely self-medicated and went the route when I was six. It, unfortunately, it's when I was 16 mm-hmm. that I had then turned to, after my brother, I had turned to doing drugs. Mm-hmm. I was also prescribed anti-anxiety medicine by, by my, my therapist or by my doctor at such a young age, recognizing, of course, I'm going to have anxiety from the trauma I've just gone through. But now in kind of my older years recognizing there's so many other ways and coping mechanisms that I could have been taught rather than like, here's a pill. Mm-hmm. I'm 16. I'm going out and drinking. I'm smoking weed. I'm doing other drugs. And then you're going to give me a pharmaceutical drug on top of that. Mm. So luckily I didn't do, I didn't take it too far. There are some memories that are hard to even remember because of the, the toxicity I was putting into my body. Luckily, nothing more intense happened, and I was able to, even with the predisposition of addiction in my family, mm-hmm. to recognize a way out of that. Like, viscerally, I started to reject that, and I could not do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but even within that, seeing the lack of education and dealing with these traumatic experiences because my experience is yes very 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 um it was tough to deal with at a young age but I know there's so many other people that are going through um tough times and and how can we support our community sustainably rather than kind of ban- continuing to band-aid so then I had to process it five ten years later rather than having the tools then Right. And was there like a book or a teacher that you came across that helped you get into that realm in the beginning? Uh, Books. Yes. I love reading and there's this book called, and it's by the Sufi poet musician. His name's Hazra Inyat Khan. And it's um, uh, the mysticism of sound and music. Mm. And this there's a few books in my life that I can pinpoint just completely shifting my perspective on, on life Mm -hmm. and life happening for you, not to you sort of mentality. But this really just poetically described life musically in terms of vibration of energy of harmony of dissonance, Mm -hmm. recognizing 
power of thought and breath in creating or perpetuating narratives in our life and was, was an empowering read for me to recognize we're, we're broadcasting and we're receiving. It's not just a one way street. It's not like we are the ultimate controller and creator of our, our, of our lives. And if anything goes wrong, it's our fault because we thought something negative. That's not mm. how it works. Mm-hmm. Recognizing the interplay and the synergy and how consciously you can begin to design the thoughts or even the words that you're giving breath or life to. How do you refine that understanding within yourself? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you, that helps to adjust the, the perspective of, of the external of what's happening. So Hazrat Enyat Khan, the mysticism of sound and music has been, uh, I always, that's always my like recommendation to, to everyone really. <laughs> oh, I've got to read that one too. That sounds really good. And I also want to go back and touch on a couple things that you were mentioning, um, mantra practice and Kundalini yoga. So for people that don't understand what Kundalini is, can you give us a little breakdown of, of what that is? Yeah. So how I like to explain Kundalini yoga is it's like an algorithm for your human body. So we work a lot with Kriya, which is a specific sequence of postures for a specific result. And there's thousands upon thousands of Kriyas and Kriyas differ from other asana practices like vinyasa or Hatha because you're not particularly flowing through. You're doing specific postures that are paired potentially with uh, instructed breathing techniques, mudras, mantras for a certain amount of time. And each posture is held for a certain amount of time. And it's really working with the geometrics uh, and energetics of the the human body to, I I say, to to clear the channels. You can consider them chakras, you can consider meridians, um, just to get the energy moving through, through your body or to target the energy to specific organs or specific parts of the brain. Um, so working with Kriya, working with mantra, which is the sound current, which is the refinement of the breath and working with mudra, which is the positioning of, of the hands. So the circuitry of the nervous system with so many nerve endings in our, our fingertips and, and, and using shapes with our fingers to direct that energy. Mm. Um, and then breath. Mm-hmm. So then the breath is, life the breath is very powerful instrument of the human body and kundalini is a practice that has a huge library and this is kundalini yoga as taught by yogi bhajan there's um i think a, a few other kriya yogas and and kundalini uh yogas if you google it, it it can lead you astray sometimes but specifically i'm talking about kundalini yoga mm-hmm. um, as taught by yogi bhajan and the, the breathing patterns are vast. And that's where with mantra and, and breathing, those are the, the ones that I've, I think, been attracted to most within this evolution of, of my own practice and, and also of my teaching practice um, within the past two years. 
Yeah. It's very emotional when we get really into the breath work like that. I remember I've done a couple of sessions with you and it's like, it's exercise to keep your posture like that and to breathe that heavily and to allow your thoughts to kind of channel and run while you're staying focused on your breath work can be super emotional and releasing which is really refreshing. But are there any specific like mantras? Like, can you give us an example of a mantra that we would maybe use in, in a practice? Yes. For Kundalini, there's Satnam, which is used most frequently. You'll even hear some Kundalini yogis kind of saying hello with a Satnam. Mm -hmm. And for my experience of mantra, I reflect and kind of dwell on the sound current itself and not necessarily the meaning, Mm -hmm. but if you were to apply meaning to this sound, Satnam, in a language called Gurmukhi, which is not a language that's necessarily conversational. It's more kind of a spiritual language. Mm -hmm. I would say how Aramaic is for Hebrew, Mm -hmm. where it's something that holds such a power internally and in the landscape of the psyche and the mind um, that to use it conversationally can perhaps be desecration or, or however you want to consider it. It can still serve a purpose, but you want to hold it in high reverence when you're using it mm-hmm. um, or when you're saying it. So Satnam means truth is my identity mm-hmm. um, and, and honoring the truth within yourself. And, and we say that when we say truth and speak your truth. And there's a lot of delayering and deconditioning to do in order to access your truth. Yeah. So to continuously show up in your truth is dynamic and is an evolution. But the practice is to dive deep within yourself to recognize what is your truth. The truth for Amy can potentially be different than the truth for Helen. Mm-hmm. However, we all meet at one universal truth. Yeah. And it it leads me to this kind of question of what do you really think it means to be yourself? Because we always hear this, like, just be yourself. And for some of us, for a lot, and for myself too, it's been a journey to discovering like, what, what does that even mean? Like, who am I when I strip everything (laughs) back? Like, what does that mean to you when, when you're talking about being yourself? Yeah. Who am I is a great question to, to ask and to meditate on mm-hmm. and being yourself in the context of modern society is an interesting thing because we are so influenced by our surroundings subliminally, subconsciously. And I think that the recognition of being yourself is the taking the time to sit with yourself and to truly get to know yourself, to be able to discern when outside influences are dictating your reactions and responses. Mm -hmm. And if that would truly be your response and for me to, to be myself is a constant practice of sitting with myself to understand my body, what nourishes me, whether that's breakfast burritos and tacos one morning or oatmeal the next. Mm -hmm. Um, but taking that time to get to know myself beyond also the stories of maybe what my friends perceive me as, what my family perceives me as, how I even perceive myself or want to be perceived. 
and continually asking myself the the who am I of it mm-hmm. and letting it reveal itself and unravel. But I think it's a constant practice of refinement and understanding ourselves because we are constantly being sold versions of ourselves from everywhere, mm. knowingly or unknowingly. I think a, a lot of the times it's very, um, other people don't know that they're projecting a, a vision or a perspective of, of them onto you. There was a cool interview with Jay-Z um, that I ran into, I think from a couple years ago. And he was just talking about an uncle saying to him like, Oh, you can't do that. And his response was like, well, maybe you can't do that, but mm. I can. Mm-hmm. And recognizing those sorts of stories that other people tell themselves might not be relevant to you. And it's okay to, to leave that. Love that. Yeah. And before we started recording, you were talking about, um, how living alone, traveling alone really exposes you to yourself and the power of being alone like that. And I'm curious about your take too. I hear a lot of people say, you know, I'm not good at meditating. I can't really sit down to meditate, but I find that I'm meditating when I'm cooking or when I'm reading a book or something. And I guess, I guess my opinion on it, uh, is more like, well, you're still kind of having a distraction. You're not totally with yourself. Do you feel the same about that? How do you, how do you feel when people say like, I don't know how to meditate or like, I'm not good at this, but I'm meditating while I do these activities. Yeah, I definitely think there's dynamic meditation, right? There's moving meditation. There's things that you can be doing for some art is a meditation, music, you go into a trance and that can be a meditation mm-hmm. and they all serve different purposes. Music itself as a meditation would be a form of expression, but sitting with yourself in stillness, I feel that is either a form of recepting or re- I mean, receiving, um, rather than us doing. So when you're, when you're in movement in motion, there's still a doing rather mm-hmm. than just the beingness. And I think practicing of being and just being here now in this moment to recognize where the mind goes. Cause meditation is a very proactive mental practice, mm-hmm. almost as if you're going to the gym, I call it mental hygiene where you're strengthening muscles in the brain or areas of the brain that can potentially be underdeveloped from constantly doing all of these other activities, we still need to sit with ourselves. Ideally in quiet, obviously I work a lot with sound and I like to create soundscapes and I like to have music that goes along with meditation, but there is no music without the silence between the notes. To recognize the world around you and how you're perceiving it, you have to be in a quiet space, even if it's for a small amount of time. And to say that you can't do that is not true. Every human can sit and do that. You're just choosing not to, and you are giving your power to the mind to make an excuse not to. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Rather than the practice of, okay, so that's my thought. I think I can't, but that is just a thought and that we are not completely thought beings. We are so much more than that. And I think that's the recognition that you get from meditation is like, I am not just my thoughts. I am not just my body. I am not just these stories. I am so much more than this. Mm -hmm. 
And I think it seems like we're getting into mindfulness versus meditation too. So there's a way to be mindful in our doing and everything that we're doing every day versus the act of sitting in stillness and and really meditating. Um, How can we stay mindful, more mindful in our little activities every day? What are your kind of tricks for that? Yeah, I think awareness and the breath are really subtle and tangible tools to cultivate mindfulness Mm -hmm. in activities. So breath is such a powerful anchor because we're always doing it. And it's very indicative of where we are emotionally, physically, and mentally. So if we're involved in an activity and we have the space or awareness or the practice to check in with our breath, either before we begin the activity or while we're in the activity, we can then notice where are we functioning from? Are we functioning from an anxious, excited, or nervous space? Are we functioning from a deeper, more grounded and centered space? Uh, And so I use breath as the anchor in in these activities. Mm -hmm. And I think it would probably be, it's the one that we carry with us always, which can sometimes we can forget. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So it's somehow, even if it's just setting a reminder in your phone throughout your day to like check in with your breath. Yeah, that's so good. And I'm also curious, I want to go back a little bit and talk about, I know you said your aunt was a pretty spiritual being and you picked up on some teachings from her. Um, What else was your upbringing like? Were you brought up in a household that was more expansive and spiritual or, you know, I know you grew up in California too. So I'm interested to know how that differs from New York. Yeah. So I grew up in Northern California to, um, to loving parents that didn't have the healthiest relationship dynamic. Honestly, I love them both dearly. However, I learned a lot from, from that relationship. Mm -hmm. Um, we grew up in Northern California, above San Francisco. So near Silicon Valley, my dad was a computer programmer. So I I was one of the first kids to ever have a laptop. We had like three computers in my house. Mm. And uh, my mom worked a lot in admin and and different jobs, but I was kind of brought up in a a techie space. He was a coder. So he was always in like a different dimension. Mm. So for me, they offered me an exploration of thinking about the world in a new way, specifically my father, whether it was drug induced or not, Yeah, (laughs) the way that he perceived the world was very, we also share a birthday. So he's also a Pisces. So I always felt like I was very much a daddy's girl. So I enjoyed the conversations we had. And I think we were very Mm like-minded and his intuition was, was, I think, it was there. He had it. It was a little convoluted and distorted by the drugs, but he was seeing things, especially in the technology space that are now existing, but it would be kind of not taken seriously because of 
his drinking or his drug use or, or the things that he was seeing hmm. seem so far out there that it would just get kind of shrugged off. But being brought up in that, I, I was exploring the world and seeing the world through a lens that wasn't typical mm-hmm. um, of other people. And it wasn't necessarily in a spiritual way. It was more in a conspiracy <laughs> sort of way. Yeah. Um, and we did grow up. They, we went to church, I think, when I was younger, but I, don't, I didn't pick up much. I was very much anti-religion or even really uncomfortable with saying the word God until I was like 23 or 24. Mm -hmm. It was something I really, I didn't rebel against it. I just knew that it wasn't the way that I understood the world. And I saw something that was very separating rather than uniting. Although I know it does have a very communal and, and uniting nature about it. I still thought it was compartmentalizing people rather than uniting. Um, so then, yeah, my aunt was, is, is still, she's still here. Thank God. Mm-hmm. Um, very holistic, very environmentally conscious. She was the one bringing her own bags to the market before it was cool. I was actually embarrassed when she did so mm-hmm. compost, like zero waste. The one that's going through the garbage bin at the family reunion to make sure she's taking everything home to recycle it. Wow. So she also got me into Chinese medicine, um, earlier on because I had crazy hay fever and that I would take Benadryl for and that never worked and then she got me into to Chinese medicine and I started to explore all of the the teachings within that still it's very surface level for me it's something I would like to dive deeper into mm-hmm. um so I had this kind of mixed upbringing of of tech and wellness I guess uh and then also substance abuse mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. And now when you moved to New York, how did your experience change? Did you have any kind of shift in your consciousness when you came here or how did things change for you? Yeah. I, I say that I put myself through spiritual boot camp because I moved to New York. I had only visited one time prior for a couple months and I stayed with some friends. So I knew a couple people out here, but not that many. Mm-hmm. I just had a feeling that it was time for me to change pace in LA. Again, I was isolating myself. There's a lot of people in LA, but you're either in your car in traffic all the time. Like there's so many different ways to keep yourself out of, of interacting with other people. Mm-hmm. So part of me was craving that and New York city has always been a a place of interest I actually never thought I would live here it was never like something I envisioned or planned it was just okay let's go to New York also musically I wanted to explore what was what was happening here Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so I I moved in like three years after I came for the first time Mm -hmm. and I was sleeping on my friend's couch in Harlem for the first three months because I wasn't looking to to find my own apartment until I got back from my Kundalini teacher training. So I went to India for a month or a month and a half in 2015 to do my, my teacher training, um, for Kundalini yoga meditation. Mm -hmm. And that teacher training is you doing the work of getting to know yourself, you peeling off every single (laughs) bandaid that you ever tried to put on any wound that you had. Mm. So 
I, even within the teacher training, I was very bright eyed and in awe because it was also my first time actually flying over the Atlantic ocean, flying overseas. Um, first time to India, there was so much sort of awe and excitement there. Mm -hmm. And then doing the practice, I think there was like a hundred people. It was a pretty big kind of teacher training. There was like a hundred people in my class and I would see people emotionally breaking down left and right. And I'm like, Oh, I'm feeling good. Like, (laughs) this is great. Like I'm loving life. Like I feel, um, inspired there was still a lingering lethargy I still wasn't out of that that bunker depression I was still in kind of the cleansing mode yeah so then returning to New York with no grounding no sense of familiarity nothing to grasp to I had nothing to hold on to which was a bit destabilizing, but it also was a blank canvas for me to create from. Mm -hmm. So there were fluctuations between, Oh my God, what am I doing? Where am I overwhelm? And then just complete creativity of there's really not many people here that are going to hold me accountable to an old story. A lot, most of these people don't even know me well enough to know the things that I've been through. Mm-hmm. recognizing that that doesn't even necessarily matter in interactions. Cause we, in New York, you're just so briefly interacting with people. If you're having a bad day, mm-hmm. because you're thinking about this thing that happened to you years ago, no one's going to take the time to, to, to understand that. Right. So recognizing the fluidity of the city, the communication style, the, the kind of no, I don't want to say no bullshit, but kind of no bullshit is you have to be in the present in, in New York city. Otherwise it's just going to pass you by. Yeah. So, um, for me, I think just obviously having done that teacher training, regardless of where I returned to, I was going to be a very different person, but specifically landing myself back in New York city, I expedited the process of having to get to know myself better, having to, create boundaries mm-hmm. or even recognize that I hadn't had any boundaries yeah, <laughs> and what those were. Mm-hmm. Um, so as far as like the difference between California and New York too, I think the pace is very different and the, the pace and the space in New York, you are on top of so many different people and you get to explore and experience so many different cultures and lifestyles. Mm-hmm. And it's, such chaos but it harmoniously exists so beautifully and in California not that there aren't there isn't diversity but it's segregated still Mm -hmm. yeah and how do you stay grounded here I have a, a little struggle with that sometimes we both come from a place of nature and I know we both like to be in green spaces um how do you find grounding in the city in all of this craziness Definitely meditation, having a consistent meditation practice and taking those long, deep breaths. I really like to visualize like myself literally like rooting through my tailbone. Mm. (laughs) So like even like connecting to myself in that way helps me to ground. Yeah. Um, (laughs) 
beans help me to <laughs> Right. Eating, eating grounding foods. Totally. Eating grounding foods. So, um, even root vegetables, potatoes help me to ground mm-hmm. having something that's a bit more savory or heavy is helpful if I'm feeling really flighty or airy. Yeah. And I can feel that even in my, my stomach when, when I'm flighty and airy, I sometimes don't have that appetite. So then having to intentionally, um, either do the breathing exercises or make sure within that day I'm, I'm feeding myself something that's going to weight wise, pull me down. Sure. Yeah. And I know you, you have a lot of people coming through your stream when you're leading meditations, when you're DJing, what do you find that people are coming into meditation, carrying the most, like what is the weight that you see most people carrying? If that makes sense. For New York specifically, those that have been attending my experiences or my like sessions, I find anxiety is, is a, a huge commonality in, in this space. And I think it's the high functioning doing of New York and the constant go, go, go. Mm -hmm. Whereas I myself feel it as well of, of constantly having the to-do list of things to accomplish. And then once either you've accomplished all of those things or you're giving yourself that time and space in your day, you still want to fill it or yeah. you're worried about what you're going to fill it with or the, the, the thoughts continue to go into the future mm-hmm. um, or into the past. So anxiety is, is something I'm seeing that's pretty prevalent there's like a low baseline of, of depression or just not quite, not quite feeling joyful about life. Yeah. And do you think I that's because we're all trying to keep up with each other? Kind of like keeping up with the Joneses? Sort of. I think there's definitely a collective blanket of it. We also have access to so much news and media and we're going through a lot of shifts in this world and a lot of really fucked up things. Yeah. So when we're bombarding ourselves constantly with the news, with the media, this was a boundary that I had to recognize, not that I consumed the news and media too much, but recognizing its influence on me. Yeah. If I'm reading the news before I go to bed and then that's making me anxious or then that's kind of infiltrating my dream space, mm-hmm. I need to decide when and where and how I'm going to consume that information. And if it's not information I can use to uplift or be of service, then I'm going to figure out ways to remove it from, from my, my psyche or start just as if with a diet, we start to remove things that make us feel crappy in our bodies. Mm -hmm. Or sometimes we try to, when we start to recognize it, sometimes it's hard. Like sugar is hard to remove from your diet. It's very much a drug. You Mm -hmm. kind of crave it. And that's almost how media is sometimes. So building an awareness or a relationship with when you're consuming anything, whether it's sound, food, visuals, how is it making you feel? And is that doing you a service or not? Yeah. So I'm, I'm seeing, yeah, an overwhelm, I think also in the, the human nervous system. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a few friends dealing with kind of autoimmune issues that have been recent or that they've been dealing with for years that are coming up. 
Um, so kind of recognizing how the human anatomy is evolving with the demand and the pressures of modern times. Do you see a connection between autoimmune responses to stress? I would say yes. Yeah, just from <laughs> I, observation. Yeah, yeah, from from observation. However, it's such a complicated thing, and I also think it's an umbrella term for so many things that we don't know. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's something that's getting diagnosed and it's not fully understood and there's so many things that fall under that umbrella and stress itself can be it held in the body in a variety of ways. And there's stress from time and, and daily stress. There's external stressors of just the environment that you're in. If we're breathing in, um, kind of heavy metals or whatever our, our location is, yeah. whatever the environment is, that can be a stressor. If we're throwing off our circadian rhythm by working different hours than we're used to, that can be a, a different kind of stress. Mm-hmm. So I think also the term stress is a very umbrella term and that there are different stressors. And, and again, getting to know yourself t- enough to recognize if you are dealing with different anatomical issues, mm-hmm. what amplifies them? Yeah. What if you out? can, and that's also part of uh, a matrix of, of understanding. Right. I know it's so tricky to kind of pinpoint what's going on, but um, our bodies are definitely always giving us signals and, and notifications when something's off. In, in so many different ways. I'm also dealing with that right now. I'm like, Oh, well, there's totally a reason why you're feeling a little strange is, is of course, like you've been going at a different pace than than normal. So it's time to check in. Yeah. 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 I feel like too, it's sometimes hard to realize when we are going too fast and we need to slow down because we start to see it as kind of this normalcy. At least I do. I get into the zone where I'm like, Oh, I haven't really taken a full day to to rest and give myself permission to do that because of the fear of being behind. But when that happens, like it just creates this chain reaction of events that um, is just not, not good, not healthy, not serving like the best version. Yeah, and sustainability, right? How is this sustainable or how can we truly Mm -hmm. cultivate sustainable energy? Today is totally one of those days of me just not really doing anything. Yeah, I feel you today. I woke up and I set the intention today to experience like peace and calm and just like everything I can do to just stay calm and breathe. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Um, and the other question I wanted to ask you related to music is about how we can be more mindful with what we're consuming with our music, because I'm finding that like there are certain, you know, levels of Hertz and certain beats that we not, we might not be aware of coming through our music, especially in pop music and, and, you know, heavy 808s and drum beats that can really get into our system in ways that we might not necessarily be aware of. Is there anything you want to say on that topic? <laughs> There's a lot. Yeah. Um, but well, yeah, we'll try to keep it short. Yeah. Definitely kind of speaking to that 
discernment of what you're allowing yourself to hear. Sound is very interesting, though, because you can't get away from it. Mm -hmm. Um, We're constantly surrounded by it voluntarily or involuntarily. Mm -hmm. There is a science, yeah, speaking kind of to the hurts that they resonate at, at certain levels of, of the body. Some people associate different hurts with different chakras. Some associate different hurts, like the Schumann resonance with the, with the vibration or the frequency of the, the planet. So that can kind of get you grounded or connecting uh, vibrationally back to that, that space yeah. uh, of homeostasis. Mm-hmm. And how I understand sound is everyone has a different relationship to sound. So you can't, I don't believe that you can say 432, I think the heart frequency yeah, is like 432 right. or something, is the heart frequency for every human body. Mm-hmm. I've just started to read this book, or actually just finished it. It's called um, Music Physician for Times to Come. It's by Don Campbell, and it's um, a variety of different excerpts from different audio and um sound kind of professionals from scientists, neurologists, neuroscientists, doctors, spiritual leaders. Mm -hmm. And there's an innovative um, scientist named Alfred Tomatis, who really explores the anatomy of the human ear, which is a pretty kind of actually underexplored Uh, field of study Mm -hmm. and he started to recognize what we're able to perceive listening wise is what we're then able to express Mm -hmm. and everyone is able to perceive different sounds and they perceive different sounds differently Um, some can hear the whole spectrum of 20,000 hertz to 20 Mm. and some potentially could hear even beyond that spectrum Um, and then there's obviously those that have audio impair with either damage to the ear drum, whether they were born deaf or whatever the, the, the blockage is for the ear to function, uh, fully. Mm -hmm. So he kind of breaks it down that basically how we how we perceive the world is through frequency and although you might not be able to hear the the typical spectrum of sound um you you could have a hyper awareness to to sound that's potentially inaudible yeah um but kind of speaking again also to uh, trauma in the womb that a protective mechanism is potentially if you have, while you're in the womb of your mother and you hear an external sound that seems threatening or put her nervous system in in a state of fight or flight, that a potential response would be to then make yourself deaf to that frequency when you come out to this world as like a a protective mechanism where if it was something that was so startling to the system. So he uh, even created something called like a sonic rebirth to resensitize the ears to hear those frequencies. Um, So I've been kind of reading more about his, his way of thinking and, and the, the way that he's interpreting sound. And I find it really fascinating because there is a generalization, especially working in the wellness space of sound meditations 
and that being a very mindful experience of sound in your body and recognizing it's not going to affect everyone the same way. The singing bowls are going to resonate in my body differently and bring up different emotions for me than they will for you. So to say that this one sound is healing as an umbrella to everyone, um, I don't think is accurate because that sound could actually potentially be triggering for someone else, but it's when you bring the mindfulness into that space of sound to understand the frequencies that are resonating within you and why are they triggering this and then starting to do that self-exploration and that, that deeper reflection. Hmm. Um, so that's kind of my, my perspective of sound. I think sound is in, in itself is neutral and then the mind and us humans apply meaning to that sound yeah. or we apply a pattern. So that's music is just kind of organized or patterned sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and different sounds can be quote unquote healing. Different sounds can be quote unquote triggering for different people. Yeah. Um, but just to, I suggest just to explore it, to see like how, how sound specifically is affecting you. Music itself, I think, um, in terms of lyricism, uh, is what I find the most subconsciously invasive we all get music stuck in our heads, right? Yeah. And we don't, <laughs> we don't necessarily, um, want it stuck in our heads, but I started to recognize like that power, the power of that. Like I heard that song three days ago and now I still have it in my head. Exactly. And, yeah. And as a, as a DJ, I started to, I kind of t- took that finding or that realization to heart in the music that I would then play. Mm-hmm. And recognizing like the lyrics and what, what st- stories was I beginning to amplify? What, if I'm getting any lyrics stuck in anyone's head, um, I want it to be something that's uplifting and empowering and something that can, um, be expansive and not something that is, um, objectifying or suppressing. Yeah. Well, it becomes like a mantra in itself when you get a song stuck in your head. And if it's violent or degrading in some way, like that language is, is in your system. That's good. Yeah. I love where you took that. Yeah. About like individualizing sounds and what's right for you. Because I have heard a lot about like 432 Hertz being the frequency. And I love that you were like, well, it's different. Everybody has a different rhythm and, and depending on, you know, what your experiences was like in the womb. I I just love where you took that. It's awesome. Yeah. I would say if you want to explore those like binaural beats and also kind of the Hertz healing frequencies to experiment with it within your own body, like definitely check it out. See if, if for you, that is what, what the, the result is and, and to start tuning your system to that. Cause I, I think if we can all be scientists and experiment with ourselves, that's how we get to, to know ourselves better. And also recognizing with different genres, like I started, when I started DJing, I was actually spinning a lot of hip hop and old school hip hop. Mm -hmm. Um, so very familiar with 808 drum beats and recognizing the, that, that, that is very grounding. And you go to a hip hop show and no one's really leaving their feet there. Everyone's kind of on the ground, very much, 
um, grounded in their movements and the bounce Mm -hmm. of the audience. And then if you go to um, like a house or EDM show where they're kind of bringing in faster paced and higher frequencies, everyone's hands go up, everyone starts to jump up and down. Hmm. So for me, even starting to see the response of the human body with, with rhythm, with BPM, um, and also with, yeah, with the, the frequency of the drums and the frequency of the instruments that are being used and the music has been kind of, I'm always, I'm always observing that and exploring it. Mm, I love that. So Amy, the last question I have for you is I'm wondering if there's any kind of, could be a mantra, a little piece of wisdom. Is there something you keep in your back pocket to keep you grounded during the day? That's a good one. I, and this is the West coast coming out of me. There's a quote from Nate dog and one of his songs uh, with Warren G and it's rhythm is life and life is rhythm. Hmm. So for me, I just, how I understand that is we create our patterns and we exist on a spinning planet that's revolving and going around and round in cycles and in circles. And when we start to recognize our patterns that we have the capability to swap out different instruments, if you will, or we're able to swap out a rhythm that might not align with us or make us feel like ourselves, we can change that. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, like, yeah, on the daily, it's like rhythm is life and life is rhythm. Like what's my rhythm today? What's my vibe? Yeah. Is it a 120 BPM? Is it 90? Like, am I going slow? Am I going fast? Mm-hmm. What am I repeating? If I'm repeating anything. And if I am, why am I repeating that? Whether it's a thought or an emotion. Yeah. Um, Beautiful. And yeah. I think, I think that's the, the one that I do carry with me. Love that. How can we connect with you? How can people find you and follow you? Instagram, um, is kind of the primary social platform that I'm on mm-hmm. at underscore Kima K Y M a underscore. Um, and it's just Amy K spelled backwards. It actually means wave in Greek, which I think is really cool. Oh, cool. <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Um, and then SoundCloud and Spotify. SoundCloud, if you go to the Instagram and you just go to the link in the profile, it'll have all of the other links. So I would just go to Instagram, click on the link in the bio, and then it'll bring you to all the other the SoundCloud for the mixes, um, Spotify for the playlists, and the website and all that good stuff. Beautiful. Well, sending so much love to you and thank you so much for making the time to to chat with me for an hour today. Just love it. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, Again, you can follow Amy on Instagram at underscore Kimma, K-Y-M-A underscore. Um, and links to all of her stuff are there. And then you can follow me on Instagram at Helen Denham underscore and little tidbits for you. Every Sunday, I send out a self-care Sunday newsletter. So if you want to be added to my newsletter, um, I'd love to share with you. Um, you can sign up on my website, helendenham.com, 
or you can just shoot me a DM on Instagram, whatever works for you. Okay. And on Sundays, I also pull an Oracle card for us to kind of set up the energy for the week. And it's just so fun. So I look forward to chatting with you via the interweb and in any other way. And I'll see you on the next one. Have a great week, guys. Thank you.